0: Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon and be blessed. Good morning. Have you felt the presence of God in this place? We're going to talk more about that today. I want to add one thing. It's celebrate recovery plus one. We don't want to leave that out because that's what distinguishes this from a program to a presence and a ministry. Can't do it without God. You can't do it. You can experience some recovery, but you will not experience the full recovery of a transformed life in Jesus Christ. Pastor Michael has been talking to us about God dreams. He's been talking to us and focusing on the God dream of being a place of powerful prayer. And really, when we look at the scripture, we recognize and we understand that everything is built on prayer, which in essence is the presence of God in our life and us walking with God, sharing our life with God. I think sometimes we complicate prayer or we put prayer in a box. And the box of prayer looks like, well, I'm, I'm in this posture and I'm speaking in this way. I think that prayer really is this. It's, it's conversation and it's not one way. It's not talking to God, it's talking with God, and God talking with us. And so as he has been speaking to us about powerful prayer, and he began to launch into a little bit of the Lord's Prayer with that, uh, last week he, he spoke to us about thy kingdom come. Powerful message. The, the thing I, I love about uh, the message of that is, is what you pointed out so well, and it's, it's so solid biblically. And that's one thing that, that I hope you recognize, that Pastor Mike Michael walks in the solid word he walks in deep and and strong theology. But the kingdom of God is not something that's not uh, uh, it's here. Really that was the emphasis. The kingdom of God is now. It is also in heaven but it's also on earth. And so he began to speak as he said the kingdom of God and and as I was listening to the sermon the Lord just began to say some things to me and and I mentioned those to him and he said preach it then. I said okay I need to learn to keep my mouth shut apparently. (laughs) But I am excited to bring to you those things that I think the Lord has for us today. I think there's some some deep things that are very simplistic that will help you in your quest to experience the kingdom of God. I want you to understand that the kingdom of God says this. It, it, It says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And my screen is stuck, and so I may have to get some help here. There we go. That's the, that's the part of the prayer, thy, thy kingdom come, but then it continues. It's, it's an ongoing sentence. Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And so when we begin to understand the will of God, you need to understand this, that, that his will is Glorious. His will is, it's wonderful. His his will is liberating. It's It's not confining. It's liberating. God's will is good. His will reflects his heart. It reflects his character. And it reflects his desire for each and every one of us to deliver us into the freedom that he has for us. I find it interesting that Pastor Michael quotes what is really my favorite verse? John 10:10 10, 10, all the time, because it just says that. While the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus has come so that we may have life, and that we may have it in fullness, or we may have it in abundance. You see, it's the freedom. That we experience when we experience God's will It's not a life that is confined to rules and regulations It's liberating and that we can walk in who He is However, I have, I have noticed this and, and I have seen this throughout my life Is that too many Christians are bound Too many Christians are not walking into fullness and the life and the abundance of what God has. And it's all contained right here in this scripture. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. God's will. So there's, there's this, this concept that I want you to grasp and understand in this moment. There has to be a transfer from the power of the kingdom of God from above To earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We cannot walk in the power of God unless we experience the power of God. And so, if we try to obtain and walk in the kingdom of God, as we have been encouraged and and challenged to do in the scripture and in sermon, we need to understand that, that we have to contain the power of God. Otherwise, we're walking in our power. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I talk often in conversations about a, a huge mentor in my, my life, Morris Burke was who is the founding pastor of Warner Christian Academy, and he was my pastor in, in my most formative years, my teenage years. And he, he, he was an amazing man, and, and after he left White Chapter, after 20-plus years of ministry, his, his ministry went literally international. He spoke all over the world. He, he was an amazing communicator, and he also wrote many books. One of the books that he wrote, my favorite book that he wrote, is called The Miracle and the Power of a Blessing. I spoke on that a couple years ago in, in the, the little poinsettia bush that turned into a tree and, and how people came from all over the country when he would preach and teach about the miracle and power of, of how this little tree was blessed, how it grew. But in that book, he talks about this very thing. He talks about the kingdom of God. And I want to read just a little bit out of that book. I have it in type where I can see it. He's talking about the, the power of God. And he says this. He says, what comes next in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What comes next in the Lord's Prayer? Oh, yes, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. The whole idea of God's kingdom has intrigued me for a long time. It should intrigue you, too. I have trouble with the idea of the king of the universe parading down Main Street on a white horse. What kind of crown will we fashion for him who holds constellations of stars in his hands? Does Jesus' prayer help us understand the kingdom? Perhaps this parallel principle helps you. Does the kingdom of God truly reflected in us? And he goes on in his book, and I actually have had the blessing of hearing him speak this sermon, where he talks about the parallel principle. And so you see this this artistic rendering. It's not great quality. I I took a snapshot of it, and, and that's what it looks like. I'm not the best with technology, but you get to see it. And so it's power lines. Power lines, and then underneath it, there's a line there. That line represents a copper wire or a copper pipe. And so here's the parallel principle that if you look it up, it may not be called that, but there is a principle. And, and I, I remember a few years ago, I asked Gator Mankey about it. He, he works for FPL. And he goes, oh, yeah, that's one of the first things they teach us. I, I was speaking with another friend this past week who works for Bell South, and, and, and he, I asked him about it. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. And so here's the parallel, para, Bell South. <laughs> that's AT&T back in the day. Reach out and touch someone, yeah? <laughs> wow, it's, it's amazing what the mind does. So I'm kind of stuck somewhere in that last century. But nonetheless, this, this parallel principle, Florida Power and Light and AT&T, uh, you're trained to understand that when you're working around overhead power lines, that you need to be careful. Because if you parale- parallel a, a line underneath, a copper line underneath the power lines, the electricity will transfer from those power lines to whatever it is underneath it, the copper, in this case, the copper pipe. Intriguing, isn't it? I've known that principle, and i got to tell you, it's stuck in my head. Now, I don't walk around with copper pipes, but anytime I walk under power lines, if I have anything uh, of, of metal in nature, I'm like hold it sideways you know I don't want a transfer of that power however I do want a transfer of the power of God in my life yeah. Dr Burke was continued in this in his book he said for God to get done what he wants to get done and since he is a king with a kingdom why not He needs people to line up with his will and his character where? On earth, of course. While electricity certainly doesn't explain God, it may illustrate something of his nature. He has power. Amen? Amen. He has power. Amen. <laughs> Impartiality is also his. He is invisible, too. In the same way that the overhead power lines provide us with the ability to do all the things we need to, do, need to get done, God's power is always there. It doesn't disappear, does it? Just because we're not walking or experiencing the power of God, does it mean that it's not there? It's there. But have we aligned our lives with the power of God, with God's will? And then he continues, whether or not you receive the things you need, healing, for example, depends not so much upon what God chooses to do for you as it does upon you. That's powerful. i got to read it again. Whether or not you receive the things you need depends not so much upon what God chooses to do as much as it does upon you. Small wonder that we need to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. There is power in the kingdom of God. And as we begin to understand the power of God, we need to really understand how that transfer happens, right? How do we experience this power of God? And so we get this basic concept of of we need to align our life with God's will. We begin to understand the the criticalness of this. And it's really found for us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, when uh, you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, let's, let's, let's make sure we get this, when you receive the what? The power of the Holy Spirit. You will be my witnesses. This scripture is often misunderstood. There's a lot of teachings uh, throughout the church that the evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit is found in spiritual gifts. That's not what the scripture says. The evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit is you will be a witness. That's the evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, God doesn't just give us the power that he has for our own benefit. He gives it for the benefit of others. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For God desires that no man would perish outside of his grace and his love. And as we understand that scripture, and we understand that that there's power in the Holy Spirit. And we need to walk in the Spirit. You see, that's the alignment. Jesus said, I must go so that one greater than I may come. What Jesus was saying is, I'm leaving the earth, but God's going to send his Holy Spirit to the earth, and that's where the power is. And so that power, that voice of the Spirit in our life, is what should guide. It should be our compass. It should direct us in everything that we do. And when we ignore the conscience or we ignore the conviction, or we ignore the moment of of repentance in our life, we shut off the power of God because we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to work in the fullness. Now, I do believe this. And we can have a holiness uh, teaching moment, and we're not. But, but you know, in the holiness, there's different chains of thought. But, but I believe this. I believe that when we receive Jesus Christ into our life, we ask him to come into our heart. We ask him to come into our mind. We, we surrender at least the portion of our life to say, I want you to control this, that we have the Holy Spirit in our life. But we don't have it in its fullness. In fact, we'll never fully receive the Holy Spirit in our life that we would walk in a perfection that Jesus walked in. It's not obtainable, not on this piece of land that we walk on. And so we, we have this, this teaching that by Jesus Himself, His last his, his some of His last words to His disciples, before He said, Go and be my witness. He said, Don't go and be my witness, but wait. In verses 4 and 5 of Acts chapter 1, before you get to verse 8, he tells his followers, he says, Go to Jerusalem and wait. I hate waiting. There's nothing in the world worse than waiting. Can you imagine someone saying, hey, go over there and wait for me. I'll be right there. And you wait. And you wait. Anticipating. Jesus said, "The power of the Holy Spirit's going to come, but wait." And so they, they gather 120 of them, and they gather in a room and they wait. I've wondered at times what would have happened had they grown impatient and left the room. I did that once at the dentist office. Not necessarily a bad thing, except I needed to see the dentist. The wait was way too long. I was frustrated. And I not only left the dentist's office, I never went back to that dentist. Because waiting is not one of the things that any of us really enjoy doing, unless we're in a hot tub, you know, on the beach or something. But, but, the, but the Holy Spirit said, wait, I wonder what might have happened had the early followers of Christ not heeded his voice and waited. You know what would have happened? Nothing. The scripture says that when the Holy Spirit came, it came like the sound of thunder, and it looks like tongues of fire falling from heaven, and it fell upon those people, those disciples, and they went out and they preached, and they preached in languages they didn't know, but people had gathered from all over for the celebration, and when they heard them speaking, they heard it in their own dialect. You know what the power of the Holy Spirit did? 3,000 were saved when Peter preached. You see, there's a power... And had they left that room without the power of the Holy Spirit, they would have not experienced the Pentecost. They would have not experienced the power of God. And I wonder how many times we launch out into the world, into thy kingdom come, and we don't walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I've been guilty. We've all been guilty. I get so caught up in what I need to do and what I want to do, and if I try to do it in my power, in my ability, it's not going to have the result. We have to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's not just some religious slogan, if you would. It it, it sounds kind of spiritual because it is. We have to walk with him and him with us. We were in a meeting a few weeks ago, and Pastor Michael said something that... that, um, I agreed with and and had also learned. He said, I've learned that I just can't sit with God in my quiet time each morning, take the things throughout the day, and then bring it to him the next day. I've had to learn to process things in the moment. So in the flow of life, we have to have such a connection with the Holy Spirit that we can have his guidance and his direction for things that need to be addressed right then. So thy kingdom come, and we talked about going into our neighborhoods, and we talked about talking to those who who, who need Jesus. That's thy kingdom come. But if we go without the power of the Holy Spirit, there won't be fruit that lasts. We have to take the power of the Holy Spirit with us. You've heard this said that nonverbal communication is more powerful powerful than verbal communication. And they actually say that that 90% of communication is nonverbal, and I actually looked that up, and experts agree, and I don't know how you define experts, because I see experts all the time that don't necessarily agree with but the experts agree that 73 to 90% of our communication is nonverbal. I don't know what the percentage exact is, but I do know this. You see? We can communicate without opening our mouth i love i just saw this yesterday and I thought oh that's going in my sermon i love it when facebook gives me good stuff yeah. an Amish man was once asked by a tourist if he was a christian his reply was you'll have to ask my neighbor <laughs> and, and you know the Amish community they deny themselves modern invention modern conveniences they they ride around in horse and buggies with with Horses, thus horse and buggies. <laughs> and you could assume that someone who lived the Amish life, lifestyle and sacrificed the, the modern conveniences that we enjoy, you could assume that they're a Christian. No. Just because you follow the rules doesn't make you a Christian. Your life is your sermon. And when you understand your life is your sermon, and you understand that so much of what we communicate is nonverbal, it's not going around and saying, do you know Jesus? And giving people Jesus all the time. It's not about our spoken word unless our life communicates the same message. We've all been around people who kind of exploit, I think, Christianity In my rentals that I have, I have people from time to time, and I say they play the the Christian card because they lead with, oh, I'm a Christian, to which I then say, red flags, warning. Because unfortunately, so many times when someone is leading with that, their life doesn't align with it, and so they're compensating. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't declare that we're Christ followers. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is we shouldn't lead with our mouth, but we should lead with our actions and what we do. And you've all heard it said that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to know that our neighbors see so much of Jesus in us that they would say, that person, there's something different about them. I'm going to guess they're a Christian. And I've been around people, and like, they're like, they're Christ followers. <laughs> it's, it's so plain. I, I watch them, and oh, yeah, yeah, they have the love of Jesus. They're not out jumping off, you know, at the street corner with a megaphone, you know, preaching a a hell and, and fire brimstone sermon, which quite honestly isn't all that effective. But their life is their sermon. Our lives must be our sermon, but we have to have the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so we have to experience the transfer of this power. So I want... I want to give you as much practical stuff as I can, because I'm, I'm kind of simple, and so if you talk too intelligent to me, I don't get it, but if you can kind of dumb it down for me, I can get it, okay? So I figure if I'm that way, maybe you are. But if you're not, I've learned that if I can communicate with a first grader, if you have the intelligence of a first grader, you can get it too, right? <laughs> Is that right, Mike? Is that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> too many educators in the room. So. My sister was here a few months ago, three or four months ago, and she bought a new car. And we were going to see one of our kids about 10, 15 minutes away, and she says, I want, I want you to ride in my new car with me. I'm going to drive it out, and I'm going to let you drive it back. Now, that may not seem all that exciting, um, but it was. She bought a Tesla, okay? So there's two things about a Tesla. Number one is it's electric. And I'm like, <laughs> electric you know there's there's it only goes like 300 miles and you got to get recharged Ooh, I can go about eight hours and I need to be recharged Hmm. there's so many analogies in this and so she pulls out of the driveway and she floors it now first of all I don't like not being in control I like to always drive Julie will tell you I never let her drive I almost cut my finger off a couple of years ago, and on the way home, as I sewed it back up, I looked over, and I said, you know, the worst part of this whole experience is sitting in the passenger seat going home, <laughs> because there's just, I, I like to be in the driver's seat, and she's a good, she's a good driver, 10-12 Julie, or 10-2, you know. <laughs> she's very careful. She hasn't totaled any cars in the last two years, and I have. Not my fault, by the way, <laughs> so quit pulling in front of me. So, so, so we get in the car, and, and, and she floors it. Julie was in the car, and, and we're just like, and I want to tell you, I could not believe the power of this thing. It was zero to whatever she got up to, 40 or 50, and literally half the time that it would take a, a gas or a diesel automobile. I was like, whoa. It doesn't even have a transmission. I don't know how these things work. It's just like, wow, that's impressive. That's impressive. Then she takes it a step further, and I don't know if you know this, but those cars have the new technology. They drive themselves. So the only thing worse than somebody else not driving is nobody driving, right? (laughs) It's like, are you serious? Yeah, watch. She, computer, there's no dashboard. There's a computer, and she hits the computer, and it starts driving itself. And she's showing it off, and and she she did tell me this. You You have to keep your hand on the wheel, otherwise, it will understand that you're maybe asleep. And just in case it doesn't do what it's supposed to do, you need to be ready. And sure enough, we go around a corner, and there's a railroad track there, and it didn't turn. And I thought, I don't like this, I'm not interested. Let me tell you something. The problem with the transfer of power from the kingdom of God to earth is that we like to be the ones in control. If we really were to to look deep into our life, we would understand this. We like to be in control. And so when I drove home, it was the weirdest thing ever. I guess you get used to it. She calls her car Judy. Judy. From the Jetsons, so back, those of you who knew what Bell South was, you know who the Jetsons were. The rest of you people, Google it. And if you don't know what Google is, that's because you know what the Jetsons are, right? <laughs> so you understand we got some stuff going on here. and a lot of change. <laughs> I remember the first iPhone I bought, and the girls going through this, Well, I just go to Google and do this. I'm like, you go to who? But anyway, I know Google now. Google and I, we spend a lot of time together. And it was in control. However, you couldn't fully trust it. And when we got to that same turn, but going now home, it didn't read the lines. It it apparently reads the lines on the roads, and, and I guess they were a little dull. And I gave it a chance, and then I had to take the will. Let me tell you something. When we take the will from God, it doesn't work out well. And, and learning to fully surrender ourselves to God is, is a process And so the Holy Spirit comes into our life, right? Because we accept Him as our Lord and Savior But there's this transformation that takes place In fact, you'll see it in Philippians chapter 2 Or chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 But our citizenship is in heaven We don't belong here, we belong in heaven The kingdom of God is here But the kingdom of God is in heaven And we eagerly await a Savior from there The Lord Jesus Christ Who, by the power of that enables him to bring everything under his control. It will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And so this tells us the process. You see, there's a transformation taking place in your life. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are in a mode of transformation or stagnation. You see, as the Holy Spirit would transform us, it's a lifelong process to which I will never experience perfection until I go to the kingdom, my citizenship in heaven, where we will be transformed fully in his likeness. We'll never experience that here, but what I want to encourage you with is keep pushing, keep growing, keep taking the power, experiencing the transformation that God has for you in your life. There's transformation he has. Yet, too often, the problem is we don't want to relinquish control. I have to take my hands daily. It's a daily discipline to take my hands off the steering wheel and say, not my will, but your will be done. If your kingdom is going to come, and if I'm going to walk in the power of your kingdom, your will must be done, which means you have to be in control. And so here's a real practical application that we see in the Scripture of, of this taking place. You're familiar with the Scripture. It's often spoke on Scripture. It's, it's the Scripture of the woman who was suffering from, from bleeding. And, and for 12 years, she had constant bleeding. And the scripture says she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? That'd make a good hymn, wouldn't it? Oh, that's not a hymn. That's a He touched me. You can Google that one. You'll like it. No, you won't. You see, we have to reach out. We have to figure out how we can touch the hymn of Jesus. The scripture continues, and he says, after he he said, who touched me? And everybody denied it. Now picture that. Jesus is walking through the crowds with people pressing all over him. Who touched me? Really? (laughs) He says, no, no. As as uh, Peter says, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. Jesus said, no, someone deliberately, someone deliberately, deliberately touched me. You see, you may experience Jesus reaching out and touching you just as as, uh, in that same chapter when Pastor Morgan preached on it a couple weeks ago of the man who Jesus delivered. And Jairus in the same chapter whose, whose child was healed. Jesus reached out and touched them. But I want to tell you, that uh, most of the time it's our deliberate intent on touching Jesus that we experience the power of God. He's a gracious God and He He watches over us even in our ignorance. But He wants us to deliberately, deliberately touch Him. He says, Someone deliberately touched me, and I felt the healing power go out from me. You see it all? You see the power lines? You see the alignment? You see the transfer of power, even to the degree that while dozens of people were pressing in upon Jesus, he said, somebody touched me because I felt the deliberate touch of someone who needed something, and the power went out of me. Now that ought to make us get a little excited, that when we can reach out and we can touch Jesus, then we can experience the infilling of his power in our life. Finishing up this text. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of Jesus. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had immediately been healed. And Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you, made you well. Go in peace. So here we are. How did she touch Jesus? She pushed Push through the obstacles Listen it wasn't easy She probably had a a mind game going on As to whether she should even go And see Jesus But because she could find No cure in anything else And for 12 years she had suffered with this illness She said I'm going to go to Jesus Because I've exhausted everything else And I've heard of this man called Jesus And if I can only touch him Maybe I would find healing and then she gets there, and there's so many people around Jesus, so many obstacles in the way, she could have easily been deterred and said, you know what, he's unobtainable. I can't reach him. But she pushed through the obstacles. <laughs> we, have, we have obstacles in our life that keep us at times or discourage us at times from touching the hem of Jesus. In fact, there's an enemy, John 10, 10, that comes to steal, kill, and destroy that will put obstacles in the way. And if you're going to be deliberate in walking in the power of the kingdom of God, then you have to push through the obstacles to experience the power. We also see that she exercised her faith. It wasn't just if if I can get there and touch Jesus, it'll just be something magic. She believed it. You see, if you're going to push through the obstacles, you better have a belief in your heart that they're worth pushing for. If you don't really think they're worth pushing for, then why would you even attempt it? She exercised her faith, and she was persistent and undeterred. The Scripture, when we're told a story, doesn't tell the whole story. It wasn't like she just walked to Jesus and the people parted. I can see her crawling. I can see her pushing. I can see her climbing. I can see this taking not just a minute, but minutes and perhaps longer than that. And all the while, Jesus is walking and she's trying to keep going with the crowd. Have you ever been in a large crowd? All she wanted to do was touch Jesus. And you know, there's something powerful about a touch. Isn't it nice to touch again? You know, a, a year plus of not being able to touch each other, not being able to shake hands, or not being able to hug, and it's still weird because I'll come in contact with people, and I'm not sure if I should extend a hand, and and you know, I don't know their belief or all the craziness around this, but it's like, oh, when I come to church, I know if you're wearing a mask, I'll I'll stay back. If you're not wearing a mask, hey, we can touch. We were at Vivian Kahuta's service yesterday. Pray for Peter as he still mourns the loss of Vivian. And it was so refreshing. It was packed, and and there were only two or three people wearing masks. I thought, ah, we're back. But it's not just that we're back. It's the power of the touch. And we have to be persistent and undeterred to reach out and touch Jesus. And then she proclaimed her faith. At first, she was quiet, and isn't that our nature? Whoa, I experienced the power of God. Ooh, that felt good. Who touched me? Ooh, wasn't me. A little shy in our faith. Somewhere along the line, she's like, i got to proclaim it. What if she hadn't proclaimed her faith? I wonder if Jesus would have said, go, your faith has made you, made you whole. Maybe it would have started back. I don't know. We don't know. Because she exercised her faith. And then she proclaimed her faith. And the whole crowd heard her story as she explained it. You see, what we see in this text Is what we close with this morning The first question is real simple Do you want the power Of the kingdom of God in your life You have to want it Complacency Won't get it done You have to want it How are you touching Jesus I'm going to tell you If if you're Reaching out to him, you're touching him, whether you fully recognize it or not. Others around you would probably be able to say, Oh, no, you're touching Jesus. You're experiencing the power of God in your life. So, how are you presently touching Jesus? What does that look like? And then, what obstacles are keeping you from touching Jesus? That's the bigger question in the moment. What obstacles are keeping you from touching Jesus? Could be the crowds. It could be the, the lack of faith. It, it could be the, the fact that we don't want to proclaim with our mouth. You see, our, our life is a sermon, but at some point, people were going to say, I wonder what is different about you. Oh, let me tell you. And there are times the Holy Spirit will lead you to speak his name in situations and circumstances. So, so it's not a one-size-fits-all, so please don't put this in a box, but understand That we can only experience the kingdom of God when we experience the power of God. We can only experience the kingdom of God when we experience the power of God. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you. And that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.